you got a Bible, please turn to Acts chapter 2. We are going to be working our way through chapter 2, which is exciting because in Acts chapter 2 begins the the filling or the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And so uh, we're going to drill down and dig a little deeper into that. Um, But before we get there, last week, uh, Brother Jamie talked about the reliability of the Gospels and the reliability of the book of, I mean, the book of Acts here. Uh, we know the Gospel of Luke um, was written, and then it's kind of like the sequel to it, which is the um, Gospel, I mean, which is the Acts of the Apostles, which was like um, just adding on to the story. And what we see here is the beginning of the church and the foundation of the church. And I uh, talk a little bit on Sunday mornings about what we see in the book of Acts compared to what we see today. This is the founding place. This is the, the point to where church was, uh, be, had begun. Um, we talked a little bit about how Jesus' first mention of the church is in Matthew. Um, Upon this rock, I will build my church. Um, and we realize in the Old Testament, something was, uh, as Paul calls it, a mystery. Um, there was something that was uh, hidden um, that's revealed in the New Testament which is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the church of Jesus Christ. So when we study the Old Testament, primarily, uh, who do we study? What group of people do we primarily study in the Old Testament? The Jews, right? The Israelites, Jews, you know, the Israel. um, And we realize that the Israelites were the vehicle, that's the way I like to describe it, um, the vehicle to take the message of God to the world. Now, we know the Jews failed at that because they had uh, taken the message. They absorbed the message. They had become proud. They'd stopped sharing the message. They had stopped living for the Lord. Their hearts were hardened. By the time we get to Malachi, we realize that that um, window is closing. And as that window closes, John the Baptist opens up, which is actually the last prophet of the Old Testament, or the Old Covenant, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world, right? And that begins the New Covenant as Christ comes into the picture. And the vehicle um, that we see in the New Testament is not primarily Israel, but now it is primarily what we call the church. So what is the church? The church is the group of the called out ones. The word literally means ecclesia. Um, Those who are called out or those who have responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ and have become saved or has come to know Jesus Christ um, as as their personal Lord and Savior. And when that happens, the Bible describes us being baptized into one body immediately. So every Christian who's ever professed faith in Jesus Christ, we all become part of this universal body of Christ. So from day one all the way to the last day when Christ returns, Everyone who's in that period is what we call part of the universal church. So we are all part of those who have called upon the name. And I love it when we get to Revelation, we see it's every tongue and every tribe and every person, um, big or small, tall or short. I mean, it goes to the whole list of every single person um, that will be around the throne of God because of responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the vehicle that God chooses to, to reveal that message through is the church. So universal church and its mission was found in the Great Commission when he told his disciples, take this gospel to the ends of the earth, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe. And it goes through the whole list of these things. And as we see these, 
um, we realize that this is the new vehicle that is God is going to use to bring in um, the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God is uh, over all ages, but specifically in this is the, is the kingdom of God through the church, the called out ones. So then we realize when the book of Acts opens up, not only the church universal, but there's a concept of the local church um, to where those who are locally or geographically close in context join up together to fulfill the mission of the church. So every member of the local church is not always a member of the universal church. You know why? Because there are those who join churches who are not truly saved, right? I mean, that you may profess a church or say you go to a church and your heart's never been changed because you've joined a local church. So, uh, but if you are a universal member of the church, you should be a local member of a church as well, because that's how God carries out his, um, his command, and that's how God carries out his mission together. And locally, we're called together to use our gifts, our talents, to use our influence. Um, the scripture says, uh, as you go, um, literally in the Great Commission, it means as you are going. So whatever stage or area or neighborhood or job or workplace you're in, you're to be a missionary there. That's your job, wherever it is. We are, as we are going, we are to make disciples. So it's not getting on a plane to take a trip to become a missionary. No, wherever you are, you are a missionary. Now, God may call you to go somewhere, but as we are going through that process, we are to go with the gospel. And we begin to see that in the book of Acts. Um, these disciples, um, basically the apostles um, with a big letter A, right? We, we decided to um, share or to understand the apostles two ways. There's the lowercase apostles, which just means followers of Jesus. Um, that's a large number of people. That's all those who've called on the name of Jesus in the sense that we can call ourselves a, a person who follows after Jesus. But then there are the big A or the capital A apostles. Um, there was 12 of them and one had deflected from the faith and uh, his, uh, he had he had uh, betrayed Jesus Christ, which was told from the beginning. He had gone his own way, and uh, he, he uh, 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 had turned Christ over um, to the enemy, and he was numbered among them. Um, he had went out. He had um, uh, ended up taking his own life, and through that process, they went from 12 to 11. And so at the end of chapter 1, we see the process by which they come back to 12, and they got together. They prayed about it. They asked God for wisdom, which is the most important part. They drew lots, and sure enough, um, they came up with Matthias, which finished the 12. And so they were there, gathered together, waiting just as Jesus had instructed them to do. He told them to go to Jerusalem and wait until the Holy Spirit comes. And so as they are there, gathered together, waiting on the Lord, that's where Acts chapter 2 starts up. Um, church universal. We're going to see the church local as it's beginning to be birthed. But tonight, we're going to come to the day of Pentecost. We're going to see the power of the church. So this is the exciting part, right? So God never sends us on a mission that he doesn't empower us to do. And that's good news for somebody like me because I don't have a lot of power, right? But when I'm plugged into God's power, I can fulfill his mission. And you can see these 12 apostles or disciples. Uh, we're going to see how they were even mocked how they're made fun of here in this story, how God could use them in such a way. But yet, when God empowers you and the Holy Spirit empowers you, there's nothing that can stop you. 
and as God has called you to do it, he empowers you to do it. We're going to see these 12 apostles begin this uh, process, and we're going to watch it all work all the way through the book of Acts and all the way through the history of ages, all the way even to today. We're standing on the foundation that was laid right here in chapter 2. And so we're going to see the full, um, full effect of the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So chapter 2, verses 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 4. It says this, says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there, were, then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So, the first four verses here, interesting uh, how we get to this process, but the beginning says, when the day of Pentecost had come, this is one of the feasts that they would celebrate um, in Jerusalem. They would all come back to the center point. They would all come back to have these feasts, and one of them was this Feast of Pentecost, um, which was a feast of the harvest. Um, they would give a offering to God for the future harvest. They were like the first fruits of all that God was going to bless them with. And what a beautiful time for the day of Pentecost to come, right? I mean, it's a picture of the promise of the effectiveness of the gospel that was going to come through the gospel of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. I think today we'll learn that that day of Pentecost was very important because we see the seed laid here, but now we can look back and see how big the harvest really was, right? I mean, over 2,000 years now, we are still seeing the harvest uh, come from this day. And so on that day of Pentecost, um, that day had come, they were all with one accord in one place. Now, we've talked about this through the book of Corinthians. Um, very important for us as Christians. Um, first to say with one accord, meaning they were of one heart. And I would have to say, of all the things that keeps us from having the mission that God has us to fulfill, is probably this one right here, right? Um, because a lot of times we come together and we all have different reasons, and we all have different purposes, and we all have different meanings. But if we're not all of one accord, then we're not uh, in, in one place as well. If we're not all of one accord or one mind or one purpose, um, then we miss out on the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we ought to position ourselves to be of one accord. That's why it's important when you come to church. When you come to church, what's so dangerous about the culture that we live in today is that everyone and everything is wrapped around a person, right? You got to be happy. You have to be satisfied. You have to be the one that everyone caters to, right? You got to make sure you're the one that gets something out of this rather than saying, okay, it's not about me. I'm here for a purpose. The purpose of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I'm here to serve others to be on mission for the Lord, and to be, uh, you know, to worship God Almighty. That's the, that's the one accord that they had. And the disciples here were not fighting over who was greater, or who was smaller, who was better, or who was the least. They were not fighting over what gifts they had. Like, you had a speaking gift, and I have a surfing gift, and you had this. They weren't arguing over the color of the carpet in the room, right? We've all heard of silly arguments where people arguing over colors of carpet of the room. They were not arguing about the size of the space. They were not arguing about any of those things. They were all in one accord. They were of one purpose. They were single-minded. They come together for the purpose 
of being fulfilled or the gospel or, and the Holy Spirit fulfilling them and, and, be, and coming on the day of Pentecost. They were only there for the will of God and the, floor, and the glory of God. I mean, what a challenge for us, right? I mean, what a challenge for us as Christians to prepare ourselves so when we gather with one another, we are here for the worship of God, the glory of Him, and to become more like Him. And it's not about me. It's about others. It's about the gospel. It's about the mission of Jesus Christ. And so when you come into one accord, um, as they have positioned themselves here, we see that here come the Holy Spirit. So they were all in one place. They were all in one accord. And then verse 2 says, and suddenly, and I love this because isn't that the way that God works? You know, uh, God sometimes does things slowly through our lives, right? And uh, he brings things in pieces. And sometimes you got to struggle and you got to wait and you got to see it come. But then all of a sudden, sometimes he does something in a moment that you can't do in a lifetime, right? I mean, he does it immediately sometimes. And he works in such a way that it leaves you in complete awe. And that's the way they were. They were gathered together. And suddenly, all of a sudden, immediately, they were together and God showed up. And wouldn't it be great if God showed up when we come to church, right? I mean, not just, not just, in, a, not just in, a, in a general sense, but specifically, they were there and all of a sudden they were in one accord and there come the Holy Spirit. Suddenly, uh, then audibly came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind. Now, when you think about this, um, mighty rushing wind, the word uh, literally means rapid succession of booms. And the closest thing I can think about it is a tornado. Has anybody ever been in a tornado? Um, some of my kids are like tornadoes going through my house. But anyways, if you've ever been in a real tornado, um, when I went to school in Alabama, um, we were up in a dorm room on the second floor, and uh, they said the tornado warning was coming, and we heard the sirens, and we knew it was coming at some point in time, but we didn't know how close because they had come many times and said they were coming and never came. But in this specific time, all of a sudden the windows began to rattle. And it sounded like, it almost sounded like a, 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 a giant train going down the tracks. You ever heard a giant train going down the tracks to where it shakes the whole track and you feel your heart shaking and you feel the whole building start, start to quake? And a, a tornado had crossed the campus there and uh, right as it went through there, it just snapped off pine trees. It snapped off trees. I mean, just right in the middle of them. And it uh, uh, took out the covered bridge that we had on campus. It took out part of the football um, facilities and just went like, like just touched right down and went right across. But I'll never, ever forget the sound. I mean, it was like a sound that you could never, ever forget. And so here they were gathered together. And all of a sudden, this loud succession of booms come like a sound that you would think you would hear from heaven. And then all of a sudden, they, they found like as a, as a rushing mighty wind. So here they were physically feeling the effects of the coming of the Holy Spirit through sound. And now they feel it as a mighty rushing wind. And then it says it filled the whole house where they were sitting. So when God shows up, He fills it all, right? I mean, that's, a, that's so important because when we think about the Holy Spirit, uh, so many times we like to discount the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we as Baptists like to minimize the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, when I was going through seminary, um, one of the uh, th reasons why I chose to go through liberty um, was because it wasn't tied to a certain denomination. And so through liberty, there were several professors um, that had some different backgrounds. You got a lot of different perspective from different things. And one of the professors that was there, um, he was talking about 
uh, the Holy Spirit, and he was talking about how sometimes um, as Baptists or some people who believe the Bible uh, in a certain way, that they minimize the power of the Holy Spirit. They minimize it because they're, they're scared of it. Not so much scared of it, but they're just timid about it. And, and he was saying there's nothing timid about the Holy Spirit. Uh, and when the power of God comes, there's no denying it. That we should want all of the Holy Spirit. And when it comes, just like this here, as the first time, it filled the whole house. And every bit of them, every single one of them felt the power of the succession, the power of the wind, and the power of all that was there. And it was fully seated, seated in that place. And, and it's amazing when God shows up, as one pastor said, he shows out, right? <laughs> Isn't that so true? And I would just, I would dare to say, what would it be like on a Sunday morning in churches if God uh, would show up this kind of way in our hearts and our lives? You know, how much would it change who we are and what we believe? We have that power. We have that understanding of knowing who the Holy Spirit is, and yet many times we minimize it. But yet when we study the book of Acts, we realize this is where the power is. This is where the power of the life-changing gospel comes from. And if we do anything in our own power, then it's going to fail. Like if I preach in my own power, guess what? I'm going to fail. If you listen in your own power, you're, not, you're, not, you're going to fail as well. If we, if we want to share the gospel in the power of our own, in our own power, then it's not going to fail. If we share the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God, what can be better than that? And that's what they were doing here. They were of one purpose. Hey, we're all of one accord. We want to see the glory of God. We want to see the power of God. They were obedient to Jesus Christ. They were waiting for Him. And then suddenly, here, he, here comes this mighty rushing wind and it fills the whole house where they were sitting. It was shaking in them to the core and every one of them felt the effects of this power of the Holy Spirit. Man, may we wish or hope and pray that God would fill our lives like that one day, right? I mean, Think about the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in our hearts and every single one of us knowing that power. And so here they were in this room and God shows up and the walls are shaking and the floor is quaking and here comes all this thing now, right? Every single one of them is that dwelt there. Verse 3 says, Then there appeared to them divided tongues. So apparently through this vision, so you, they hear it, they feel it, and now they see it, right? They, they have this visual of this uh, divided tongues. And uh, in these tongues, it says as a, as a fire. So it was some sort of consuming fire, some sort of visual representation of some sort of flame. And so as they were there, it all appeared to them, these dividing tongues, and, it, and, each, and one sat on each one of them. So uh, we're assuming the 12 disciples or the 12 apostles, right? So each one of them had a divided flaming tongue that sit on each one of them. And verse 4 says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So every single one of them had received this from the Holy Spirit, all 12 of them. And it had lifted on their, it had filled them um, completely in their life. So as their power and their strength was gone, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit filled into their hearts, the divided tongue set upon each one of them, and each one of them began to speak with other tongues. Now, if you drill down right here and you look at this Greek word for tongues here, you realize it's really translated as languages. And I think if you 
understand this term, we're going to see it play out here in a little bit. So you got to follow with me a little bit to catch the meaning of this. And uh, because this is where a lot of the confusion comes in about speaking in tongues. And I know um, talking about speaking in tongues and talking about tongues in Corinthians and some of the other um, areas, uh, but here specifically, this word means languages. So um, if you follow along, here comes these 12 tongues of fire. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and all of a sudden, these, uh, each one of them began to speak in tongues and the, as the Spirit gave them utterance. So they were not speaking their message. They were speaking the message of the Holy Spirit. They were speaking the message that God had supernaturally empowered them um, to say. And so let's carry on verse 5. I want to get to these so you get the whole picture. It says, verse 5, it says, And they were dwelling, and there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews. So I told you when they had the feast, the Jews from all over the area would all come back to the home place. And they would all come back to the temple and they would all be in that place. What a perfect time to share the gospel to a multitude of people in a short amount of time, right? Uh, When you read the Bible, you realize not only is God powerful and not only is he able to do anything, but yet he's so specific in what he does. And and this was a prepared time at a prepared place that God was going to launch the beginning of the church. And so here were all these Jews, and they were there in these places, and each one of these Jews had different dialects, and each one of them had different languages, and each one of them had different cultural things. So there were theirs, those who were in Jerusalem, devout men, and then from every nation under heaven. So in other words, that's just saying from everyone that they had known of or around that place uh, was there in that day um, at the temple or around the temple or coming to the temple, And verse 6 says, and when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and they were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. And then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look, are not those all who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites? Those dwelling in Mesopotamia, yeah, you know that word, the M word there, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, uh, Egypt, and the parts of Libya, adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. And so they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Now, could you imagine this picture? I mean, let me tell you, when God shows up and God shows out, people notice, right? They heard the sound. They knew the mighty rushing wind was there. They came to draw themselves to what they had heard and seen. Let me tell you, what a great picture for us. Jesus says this as well. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself, right? Listen, when you share the gospel, you share the message of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, you don't have to build yourself up. You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be one that can try to outsmart someone or try to trick someone or try to have some sort of crafty ideal or gimmick. No, you can share the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the best thing you could ever do. And that's what we try to do in the church. That's what we try to do here. And we believe that if, you, if we lift up Jesus Christ, He will draw all men unto Himself. They have an opportunity to be able to respond to the gospel. And these people here in their languages, as it plays this out, heard them not only just in a spiritual language, but in their own language or their own 
tongue, they heard these things. And they, they couldn't understand it. i tell you, when God gets a hold of people's lives and changes their lives, people, it, it confuses people. Because they, they don't understand that kind of power, right? You take, you take someone who lives a life full of anger, and God gets a hold of their heart, and all of a sudden they turn into a loving, gentle, kind person. People don't understand that. They look at them and go, wow, what in the world happened to this? That's what's so neat about the Christian message. It's not just a book. It's not just a message like a math message or a science message. Like what kind of literature has ever changed anybody's life, right? I mean, it changed my life because I hated school, right? I hated going to literature. I hated going to English. I hated doing those things. But who have you ever heard that said, I picked up a math book and it changed my heart? Nowhere, right? But you hear the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the power of God is, is in their hearts, it completely changes them. It, it amazes them. They can't understand it. And you know, this is where I think we get off today in our churches. We want to have the same message as the world. Our message is not the message of the world. Our message is radically different from the world. And if we stick to the power of the Holy Spirit and we hold up the name of Jesus Christ, it will hold its own. It will draw men unto Himself. It will change lives. It will change hearts. It will change the, the, through the power of the gospel. And people can't understand it. They look at it and go, wow, what in the world would they want to go and listen to that for? Why would they want to do that? It, it's, it's something that's supernatural. And here you see when the Holy Spirit shows up, it is supernatural. And for us as Christians in our lives, in our hearts, we know that when the Holy Spirit gets in touch with our hearts, it's supernatural. It changes who we are in a way that the world cannot change it, in the way that the natural sense cannot change it. You know, a lot of times in our message of Christianity today, we say something like, well, you need to try harder, right? You heard that one. You need to be a better person. You need to join this church. You need to calm yourself down, right? You need to do yoga. You need to breathe better, right? You need, to, you need to do this. You need, and we, we offer all these temporary solutions for a spiritual problem that only can be fixed by the Holy Spirit of God. That's it. And, and so here, there was no message other than the gospel of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, which completely shocked these people. And for us today, that's the message we should share. We should not be uh, chasing rabbits. We should not be chasing the winds of the culture. We shouldn't be telling people you know, about psychology or about how they can be a better person or how they can take steps to be um, this or that. We should be sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit because that alone is what changes lives. And the more we try to be like the world's message, the more we're going to get of the world's understanding and the world's power. But if we want people's lives to be changed, you got to share the gospel. You got to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. And when you do that, it confuses people because it's supernatural. It's supernatural in a world that doesn't understand the power of God. And so they were there. They heard in their own language. It shocked them. It confused them. But it also amazed them. I love that part. They were all amazed and marveled. Think about that. They were all like in complete shock. Like what in the world is happening here? They were all amazed and marveled at the power. And they all looked at one another. This is a verse 7. And the first thing they say is, look, are not all those who speak Galileans? Now, you know, Galileans wasn't the smartest known people or the people with the most knowledge. And they were looking and saying, we're not all these people just common folks. Like, how in the world did each one of them learn all these languages that quick? Like, it's impossible. But with God, it's possible. 
See, they didn't understand it because the power of God had changed them so much that they were speaking this power of God. And they were like, aren't these just simple fishermen? Aren't these just simple people? Aren't these just simple-minded, non-educated people? But, but as God uses this message, they look, and it says in verse 8, it says, how, how is it that we hear each one in our own language? This is where I talked about if we think about, as we talk about these tongues, if we bear it out, we understand that this was in each language. So every group of people that had gathered in that place and come from all around that area, even the Jews that were there, and all those in that surrounding area that had different languages and cultures and backgrounds, as they came there, God had this supernatural message through the apostles of Jesus Christ, and they all spoke in these languages that each one of these people learned. And now Luke, as we learned last week, he, he liked to give a lot of details. So he goes into listing um, all these areas, and he, he begins to list them um, from those around in Jewish area, the Parthians. You can look up every one of these historically and see um, the different languages, the different cultures, the different parts of these things. And he says both Jews and proselytes. So he's saying there were all these people in this place, and here they were speaking them, and we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. That's the last part of verse 11. So the apostles weren't saying how great I am, right? I, I would think today, sometimes we would sing that hymn, How Great Thou Art. We'd have to sing How Great We Are, right? Because we think as a church... We think as American Christianity, with our ways of our world, <clears throat> with our buildings, with our programs, with the history that we have, we think, hey, we're pretty good. We got a great message to share of ourselves. We've done a good job. But the apostles were like, no, we are nothing. God is everything. And the power of the Holy Spirit makes it. And let me tell you about the works of this great God, right? They were speaking the wonderful works of God. And let me tell you something about the Holy Spirit. Anytime he empowers you to say something, it's not going to be about you, all right? It's going to be about Jesus. You know, that's, a, that's a great litmus test, by the way, to check preachers. Uh, if you get on YouTube, and I said this before, a great thing about uh, this pandemic was that a lot of preachers were forced to start putting their stuff on YouTube and Facebook, right? My lifelong dream finally came true. I'm a TV evangelist, you know what I mean? I get, I get to be on Facebook. I get about two views every Wednesday night or three views or so. Just killing it, right? I always wanted to open up one Wednesday night and say, for those here and thousands gathered around at home, no, just decent. <laughs> that would be a lie. But anyways, uh, it forces us to put it on Facebook and YouTube. But the unfortunate part about that is they're on YouTube and Facebook, and people had, a, had started listening to them. And when you listen to someone, sometimes if you're not careful, you could begin to hear some, you, you can begin to believe some of the false teachings or maybe some theology that not be correct might not be correct. So a great litmus test for that, and you'll learn this about the Holy Spirit because Jesus tells us about the Holy Spirit. He never witnesses unto himself. He never witnesses to those about uh, those who he uses. He always lifts up and witnesses to the name of who? Jesus. That's it. If you get to this sermon and you get to this teaching, and you get to the end of their message of salvation, and the hero, the Savior, the one and only is not Jesus Christ, you pretty much mark it down. It's not from the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is all about Jesus. And he says, as a matter of fact, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will not witness of himself. He witnesses of the Son of God, which is Jesus Christ. And so for us as Christians, for us who watch uh, these these preachers and teachers and teachings we have, it's always a great litmus test. It's always good to check me out. 
It's always good to have your Bible to check them out and to read it and to study it for yourself and understand those things and say, is he lifting up the name of Jesus or is he lifting up his program? Is he lifting up their church? Is he lifting up joining the church? Or is he lifting up being baptism as part of being saved? Is he lifting up any message other than the gospel of Jesus Christ? You know the litmus test is, is it about the wonderful works of God? And that's what it is here. They are sharing the wonderful works of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. These people were amazed. They were perplexed. They were, they were part of these things. What could this ever mean? So everything is great. Everything is wonderful. And then comes verse 13. 13 comes, and what does it say? Others, mocking, said they are full of new wine. So uh, this is something you can't get away from. This is all part of the deal. And when you go to work for God and you want to share Jesus Christ, and you want to do something for God, you're always going to face opposition. That's just the way that it is. And I think we do ourselves a disservice, especially in our Western culture of Christianity, when we tell kids and we tell people, hey, you're going to get saved, and it's going to be your best life, and no one's going to oppose you, your kids are going to love you, your family's always going to love you, you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, you're going to make a lot of money, you're going to have a lot of nice cars, you're going to do, have nice houses, and there's no one ever going to oppose you, you're not going to have anyone say anything mean about you, they're just going to love you, love you, love you. Well, let me tell you, that's simply just not true. From the very beginning, Jesus says, in this world, you'll have tribulation, in this world, you're going to have opposition, in this world, you're going to have mockers, you're going to have scoffers. You're going to have people that you know, people that you uh, come in contact with is going to mock the message of Jesus Christ. And they, so even here, they look at him and say, you know what's wrong with them? They're drunk. That's what's wrong with them. Look, they're talking crazy because they're drunk. They've already had too much of the new wine. They've already had too much of the fermented wine that's really making them talk like they're, they're literally drunk. And so as the mocking comes, you realize when you share the message of Christ, there will be mocking. There will be opposition. There will be persecution. And it's important for us to make sure that we're always careful to tell followers of Jesus Christ this. Because when you get out, you start sharing Christ, you want to come and start serving the Lord, there's always going to be opposition. Always. And God never says it's going to be easy. He always says it's going to be worth it, but He never says it's going to be easy. And so, uh, even with our young kids, when we tell them, even today, you know what the kryptonite is for our young people today? Social media, Right? I mean, they are so afraid of someone saying bad about them or mocking them or making fun of them on social media, right? I mean, that's like, that's something that they don't want to get put on someone's story. They don't want to get put on someone's message that they were being mocked or made fun of. Let me tell you, it's all part of the deal when you're a Christian. It's part of being on the team. It's part of being part of the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ is there are those in this world that's going to mock and the world and even so much more as the end of the world comes, there are scoffers going to come. There's going to be mockers that come. And I would have to say, it's right here on the first day of the church when the power of the Holy Spirit showed up, and it's even here today. And today, it's worse than it was the first day. But it's all part of the deal. And we all got to learn how to deal with that. And I'm sure some of you, even here in this room, you've been fired up for the Lord and tried to share it with your family. And maybe it's been a parent, an uncle, or a cousin might say, hey, we don't want to hear that stuff. You know, like, like don't talk about that stuff around here. Maybe, maybe it's a a spouse that you have come to know the Lord after you've been married, and you might, they might say, hey, we don't want to hear that. Why are you preaching to me? When I was going through college, I heard it many, many times. And uh, when you have these parts in the culture, you have kids who want to wait on, the, on marriage, and you have kids that want to do it the right way. You have kids that want to uh, share Christ and to serve the Lord. They're going to be mocked. They're going to be made fun of. They're going to be persecuted. And it was here 
uh, in this day, it will be in our day as well. So they look up and they say, hey, let, let's just mock them. They are, they are full, they are drunk, and they are full of this new wine. We won't be able to make it through all of what Peter says because uh, we're going to have to break this down a little bit later, but I want to get part of this in verse 14. It says, but Peter, this is Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. So Peter was always the leader, right? Gotta love Peter. First one to stand up and the first one to put his foot in the mouth, right? <laughs> he was the first one to, to stand up and he was like, listen, I want you to hear this and I want you to hear it clear. I'm going to take this stand. He's empowered by the Holy Spirit. He said, I want you to heed my words. I want you to hear what I have to say. Verse 15, for these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day, but this is what was spoken by the prophet of Joel. So Peter stands up and says, no, they're not drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning, right? I mean, it's only the first part of the, of the day. There's no way that they are, they, they're the part of the third hour of the day. There's no way they're, they're drunk. But this was part of the prophet of what Joel has said. And so verse 17 says, and it shall come to pass in the, in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my maidservants and on my maidservants, uh, and my men servants and my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun, of the, the, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What a message, right? He comes down, he's saying, we entered into this next, uh, this next phase. And this next phase comes and it says in the very beginning, it shall come to pass, I will pour out my spirit on who? All flesh, right? So, there's the transition. This begins the transition that we're going to see from Acts all the way through the end through Revelation. We have seen it not just here in the Bible as we're going to see it, but we have seen this historically come to pass, right? We have seen this historically come to pass because the message of Christianity, the message of Jesus Christ is no longer a Jewish message, right? The Jewish message does not have the Messiah of Jesus Christ in it. The Jewish message is rooted in the Old Testament and never comes into the New Covenant or the New Testament. So here, as he says here, this is, this is the message that will come, and it's going to come on all flesh. Meaning that every single person that has the ability to hear the gospel, and they're going to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and God is going to use every willing and available person that will call upon the name of the Lord. He will not over save them, but He's going to use them in a mighty way. I mean, what a, what a great understanding. And, and he says, it's going to get tough. It's going to get hard. And times are going to come where, as he says, this is, even, uh, this is even prophesying some things in Revelation. The signs of the earth beneath and the blood and the fire and the vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the mood into blood. We'll talk about that in the tribulation time when we um, get studying later on. But all these things have to come to pass. And the ending of this time will be the great and awesome day of the Lord. So, you know, those who are in the New Testament as they heard this message, they were so thrilled about the coming of the second coming of Jesus Christ that they just was like out of their mind, right? So like when we read 1 Timothy and we read Thessalonians and we read some of Corinthians, we realize that they were so excited about the second coming of Jesus Christ that when anyone would die, 
They would be like, did we miss the coming of the Lord? You know what I mean? Like, did we miss it? Did we miss it? Did we miss it? And we look, they look so forward to it. But the reason why, as we read this and we understand what's happened in history, and we understand through the rest of the Scriptures biblically, and especially through 1 Peter and 2 Peter, um, that God has says that He, he is waiting and He is, he is, he is long-suffering. He is patient that those who do not know Him will come to know Him. Like he is, he is wanting them to repent. He's wanting them to come to know this gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what we do know is we have the beginning of it and we know there's going to be an end to it, right? And so if you know you have the beginning and you have the end, what should we do in between, right? We should give our lives, everything we have, to be used by the gospel of Jesus Christ as much as we can for as long as we can. That's what we should be doing. And, and, and what the promise is here is that anyone that's allow, available first to be saved, that should be the first thing, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jew or Greek, poor or rich, from Jerusalem or from Parthia or from uh, Rome, from any parts of the face of the earth, anyone and everyone. I love the whosoever's of the Bible. I love it. And some people say, what about predestination? And what about... Uh, you know, the elect. And I, I believe that as well. I believe as you read the Bible, when you hear those messages and you hear things talking about the predestination of the elect, you see it from God's view. Because God's view is that He sees it. He sees the beginning before the end. But I love the whosoever's of the Bible because that's the charge that we have. That's the way that we see it. As we see the world, as we see the opportunity that God has given us, as we see what's lays out before us, we know we have an opportunity that the Holy Spirit has come to the church. He has filled the church. He has gifted the church. And we know that there's going to be a final day when Christ comes. And in between there, our job is to do everything through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can to draw all men that we can to the gospel of Jesus Christ to where whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let me tell you, as a preacher, as of the gospel of Jesus Christ, one of the things that gives me the greatest encouragement of all is that every single person that ever listens to one of my sermons or hears me share the gospel with them when they walk through those doors or when they meet me in real life, that every single person I can look them in the eyes and say, if you would believe on the name of Jesus Christ, you can be saved. Every single one of them. There's not one of them. And you'll read this through the book of Acts and you'll read it all the way through the New Testament. For us, the charge that we have through the church of Jesus Christ is not to decide who's elect and who's not elect. It's not our job to decide who is predestined or who's not predestined. You know what our job is? Our job is to be used by God and through the power of the Holy Spirit and to share the gospel with as many people as you can share the gospel with. And I love that whosoever part because we like to put people in chambers, right? We like to say, well, this person God surely couldn't save, but this person's a pretty good person. God might want to save them. Let me tell you, when he says whosoever, he means whosoever. And when you hear the gospel and you hear the testimonies of people and what God has saved people from and what God has delivered people out of, you realize that whosoever means whosoever. And Dr. Jerry Vines used to say that he loved the acrostic uh, come to Jesus, C-O-M-E. He would say, children need to come to Jesus. He would say, old people need to come to Jesus. Middle-aged people need to come to Jesus. And he said, the E is everyone needs to come to Jesus, Right? I mean, what a gospel presentation. What a, what a charge for you and for me. And the question um, before we, I'm not going to go through the rest of this. We'll be able to go through the rest of what Peter says in his first sermon. And uh, by the way, he preaches the first sermon and 3,000 people get saved, right? Pretty amazing. Uh, but as we, as we look to this, just the first parts of this sermon here and the first parts of chapter two here, 
um, as, we, as we wrap this up, I think we need to look to see, uh, you know, really what is our purpose. And, and if we can get in one accord like the disciples or the apostles were, if we can come together in a united purpose, that we realize that God has called us together for a mission. And as we come together and we surrender our personal desires and our personal preferences, and listen, when God gifted the church, isn't it great he didn't make us all alike? I mean, think about that. I mean, one of the greatest joys of ministry is seeing God people use people that's not like me. I mean, I, I love that because God uses all kinds of people. He uses, he uses all sorts of personalities. I, I told you I'm very uh, withdrawn. I'm very, uh, you know, uh, laid back. I, I, I don't like to be outgoing. But man, I love it when I see people being outgoing and I see people's personality that God uses in such a way to make people feel welcome and to make them feel uh, hospitality and use those things. It's like, wow, God, yes, that's, that's exactly what we need is God gifts people like that. And, and you see people are very quiet, right? I'm pretty quiet in the mornings. I'm not a morning person most of the time. I don't even feel saved until about 10 o'clock usually. But anyways, uh, others are morning people. For those morning people, we don't like morning people, right? And they get up and they're chipper and they want to talk and they want to, you know, do all this stuff all right away and first thing in the morning. I mean, but praise God, there's people on both sides of the aisle. There's people who are quiet. There's people who are morning people. There are people who have, uh, you know, uh, blue-collar jobs and people who have, uh, you know, very high intelligence. I was just thinking about this past week. I mean, look at Jamie. Brother Jamie got to teach a message and he is, he is deep. He, he knows the scripture. He knows what he's talking about. I mean, what a blessing. I mean, what a gift. It's not like I should stand up and be mad because he knows things that I don't know. I, I think about it. What a gift God has given to the body of Christ. And you hear all sorts of different kind of teachers and all sorts of different kind of preachers. And man, I listen to all sorts of preachers on the TV and the radio. I mean, I thank God for people like Dr. David Jeremiah. I mean, I don't think I'll be alive when he's, I'm his age, but I mean, he's in his 90s or almost 90. And he's preaching about the gospel of end times and the message of, of, of the end times. I mean, that's, he's got some of the best messages I've ever heard about the second coming of Jesus Christ. I mean, I love Charles Stanley. He talking about the will of God and the practical way you can live your life out. Now, if you really are tired at night, you want to go to sleep, put him on because he does have a voice kind of will put you asleep. But I mean, what a message, right? I mean, what a, what a message. Uh, Dr. Steve Gaines, who's at Bellevue now, uh, he, he is a great way of putting the gospel of Jesus Christ and sharing God's word. I used to listen to Dr. Adrian Rogers and through, uh, you know, Dr. Uh, Junior Hill and all these people that God's put together in the gospel of Jesus Christ and gifted them a certain way, not to be jealous, not to compete against, but to come together with one purpose and say, we're all in it together. We're all in it together for one purpose. And when you get that place you start to love one another. And when you start to love one another and you start to be of one purpose, then all of a sudden you can be filled with the Holy Spirit to do things that people will look and say, wow, that's unbelievable. That is not normal. That is something that's supernatural. And that's what happened here in the book of Acts. I pray that happens in our lives. I pray that we see what Peter's talking about here, that we see God pour out His Spirit on all flesh. We see God use people from big and small all over the place to do all these things to, the, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and draw as many people as he can to him before the coming of that great and awesome day of the Lord. I mean, what a, what a charge. What a testimony. And, and, and the second part, not just our purpose, but are we filled with the Holy Spirit? Now listen, the Holy Spirit comes one time. When you get saved, the Bible says you become indwelled with the Holy Spirit. It comes in and never leaves. 
The question is not, did you get all of the Holy Spirit? The question is, did the Holy Spirit get all of you, right? Because as we yield our life to Him, He does work in our life in areas and places that we could not do on our own. And so as we yield our life to Him, He begins to draw, He begins to pull all the areas of our life and He begins to work in our life. And as we yield to Him, the more we yield to Him, the more useful we're to Him, the more power we can see in Him, the more power He can use, uh, use through us. And so we got to be completely yielded to the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and as we do that, we become filled with the Holy Spirit. I heard one preacher say the reason why we're not filled with the Holy Spirit is because there's no room for Him in our lives. And it's true. Many times we get so busy filling ourselves with all the things of the world, there's no room for the Holy Spirit to fill us. And then we get up in the morning, we fill ourselves with our job, we fill ourselves with our schedules, we fill ourselves with all the entertainment we have, and we get to the end of the day and we realize we wasn't filled by the Holy Spirit that day. And we got to empty ourselves, empty our schedules, empty our, empty our lives and say, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. And then thirdly, we got to share the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. We got to be on mission. God's put you at your workplace, not just to make money, right? God put you in your neighborhood, not just to have a comfortable place to live. God put you in this church, not just to be a, a, a good person or to come and enjoy it. God put you in the, at the school, or God put you where you are, because as you are going, you are to make disciples, and we're to be on mission. As we do that, we'll see the power of the Holy Spirit, and God will be glorified. And until that day, He calls us home, we'll be able to, to really um, see the work of the Lord. So, great start. Chapter 2, we're going to uh, continue it next week, um, as well as we continue moving. Let me pray. We're going to take questions, and then we'll have prayer time tonight. So let's pray.